Hello and welcome to episode 211 of Constructing Comics, a podcast building stories one page and one panel at a time. On this episode, we have an interview with Cindy Cope, creator of Animal Eye, now on Kickstarter. This is Matt and I'm joined by Constructing Comics co-host Noah. Hey there. Cindy, thanks so much for, for joining us on the podcast. Can you start us off with a, with a quick bio about yourself? And then after that, give us the elevator pitch for Animal Eye. Okay, uh, my name is Cindy Kep. I, um, I'm a writer of science fiction, fantasy, and gamelet novels, some short stories, and some educator resources. Um, uh, the Animal Eye comic book is actually my first attempt at writing a comic. Um, uh, when I'm not reading or writing, then I'm working as a tech writer, a hack collector, a quilter, crafter, and strange joke teller. Uh, Animal Eye is an all-ages game-lit tale. Uh, there are two playtesters who enter a virtual reality world as animals so that they can find their humans who are heroes on a quest to decipher the nature of maniacal killers. That that is really awesome, and you had mentioned sort of in the in the bio that you know you sort of had more of a uh, a background in in prose work and 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 I guess short fiction with anthologies, um, and this is your first um, uh, this is your first endeavor into sequential art and in comic book storytelling. But this is also Animal Eye is based on uh, a novel or something that you had worked on before. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. Uh, Animal Eye started off as a uh, quest-based fantasy that then converted to a gamelet novel. Um, it released about this time last year. And um, a couple months after release, the publisher, Bear Publications, uh, contacted me and asked if I thought it would make a good comic book. And since I tend to think in pictures when I write anyway, I knew that would work. Um, so that set me off on the adventure of trying to figure out the mechanics of how to write a comic book script. Um, my art skills are not quite up to this speed, so um, we then went on an artist hunt and found Raul Cruz, um, who's out of the Philippines, and he has done all the artwork for us. That's awesome, and I'm, I'm a little uncultured when it comes to gamelets. Can you explain what they are? Um, just, uh, yeah, just like, I, I'd love to know like the, the definition. Okay, a gamelet story takes place within a game world. So uh, the, the characters you're following are actually playing the game itself. Um, some fairly recent examples would be the, uh, the two most recent Jumanji movies, um, okay. Tron. Um, there's some discussion about whether or not this one counts, but Ready Player One is in that area. Um, uh, it's a relatively new genre in speculative fiction. Uh, it blasted off like within the last five years or thereabouts. Um, uh, th there have been stories in that realm, but the, the, the actual lit RPG or game lit uh, subgenre has been, has been really taking off lately. Wow. Okay. I didn't know that there was a definition for that kind of genre. And now I'm going to abuse that term in any form of cap <laughs> I'm capable of doing. So thank you so much for introducing me to a new, uh, new, new genre, or at least a, a new description of a genre. Um, that's really mm -hmm. cool. And um, had you written other stories like this before? Like obviously you said like this was a this was sort of a novel first, um, but had you written in this genre before this? Yes, in fact, uh, the first story I wrote was before I knew it was a genre. 
um, I wrote a story called The Fall of the Invincible Man, which appears in the Avatars of Web Surfer anthology. Um, it follows a couple of gamers through a scenario uh, that ends up uh, putting them in a life or death situation where their actual physical lives are threatened. Um, I didn't realize that, that Gamelet was a genre when I wrote it, and then uh, a friend of mine uh, pointed me in the direction of a podcast that, that was talking about the, the Gamelet genre and said, hey, this sounds just like the story you wrote. So I tuned into that and gave, a, gave it a listen and went, wow, that does match. And uh, uh, I did some more research and found out that, no, really, it's a thing. Um, since then, I've written a couple, uh, uh, Animalize, the only novel, uh, Gamelet novel I've written, but um, I have four or five short stories in other anthologies that are all Gamelet. That's really cool. So... Uh, you know, I like probably a lot of people who have sort of a, you know, a leaning towards sort of geek culture and, and comic books and, and superhero movies. You know, I I read Ready Player One. I've seen the movie. Is the, the debate that it's game lit? Is it because they sort of enter in and out of the real world and the game so much? Do, are you aware of like what the debate is, if if it fits in or why it might not fit in? Um, from what I've heard, the, I, have, I have not seen or seen the movie nor read the book myself, but from what I've heard, more of the story takes place outside of the game than in the game. Okay. Oh, and okay. That, that's where the debate's happening. Um, I don't know. I think that if, if a significant part of the story is taking place in the game, then it counts. But um, uh, there, there, I'm sure there are others who are going to feel differently about that. Nice. Uh, that makes sense. Yeah. So did you have a, a background with, with comics? Were you, uh, were you a fan, um, you know, growing up and then sort of your, uh, you know, maybe your taste turned to, to you know, works of prose and, and stuff like that? Uh, or was, you know, comics something that really wasn't part of your, your fandom until you made the decision to, to change this, not change this book, but to take this, this property and uh, adapt it to this form of storytelling? Um, starting in about junior high, I was a huge X-Men fan. I collected all the X-Men I can get my hands on, including a lot of back issues, um, New Mutants, a couple of the other uh, ancillary stories when when uh, Marvel started doing their, their great uh, spread out. So you take one story and you spread it out into every property they own. Um, this was in the mid-80s. Um, so it, it, that, so I got into comics then and I started actually my first, um, prose tales were, um, X-Men fanfic, um, never did anything with them because, you know, it's, they're, they're a little defensive of their property, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, it's, it, it gave me some good practice on, on, uh, uh, just general writing skills and eventually, and eventually how to write, um, superhero tales. And at that point of your fandom, um, and you do it, you're, you know, you're doing your own personal fanfic. Are you sort of trying to reverse engineer the the books that you're reading, or are you actually going to try to find, you know, sample scripts or sort of the the how-to um, books? How, how are you handling, you know, sort of that decision to, you know, 
take that fandom and and change it to a bit of you know the creative side well i mean this was back when i was in junior high so i, I was just um a couple of friends and i invented our own x-men characters and uh, so i was writing stories of our grand adventures um eventually i, I took those took the characters that we created split them off from the x-men and went off in my own direction with it um and then at a later point then i stopped writing x-men fanfic altogether and switched gears into coming up with my own worlds uh so i so the writing the the, the fanfic helped me um learn about world building um even though i wasn't designing my own world at that point i was pretty much using the marvel universe for that um but it but I got a feel for, for what goes into world building and how much detail you need. And, and I end up being a very detailed uh, world builder before I even start. Um, uh, and I gradually, uh, the, I, I learned how to write dialogue from, from, uh, from doing X-Men fanfic, not so much how to do descriptions because, you know, I was learning from a comic book and physical descriptions aren't in the, Art in the words um, that came later from from some of the other things I was reading. That's really cool. So when it came to like this, the 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 book that you're you're on Kickstarter for, and your other anthology work and things like that, was it difficult for you to go from like prose writing to comic book writing? Because you mentioned that you were a visual a visual person, but I guess like the script aspect of it was it difficult to like you know, switch it over to like script writing at all? It was, yeah. Um, uh, the biggest change, the challenge for me was to uh, write tight. Um, the descriptions to the artists, they could be as deep and needed to be as detailed as I could make them, including, you know, anything that he has to show, I need to describe. Um, but the and so every single word in the script, especially yeah. in the dialogue bits, has to earn a spot. Um, if there's a better verb, it needs a better verb. Um, if I can kill that adjective, it's out of there. Um, everything has to go toward either characterization or advancing the plot. And um, in novels, that's not an issue. You can be as verbose as you need to be to get the point across and make the characterization happen. The Animaline novel is actually the biggest novel I've written is over, um, 175,000 words. It's about 700 pages long. Uh, so splitting that into six comic books or 24 pages a piece is, was a bit of a challenge. Um, uh, so I've, I've, we've, we're, we're finished with uh, the first issue. I've got the second one scripted and I'm going to dive into the third uh, as soon as the artist takes off on the second. That's pretty cool. So I have a question about releasing a, a book um, in 2020 because a lot of you know comics sort of had you know comics creators had you know shift during 2020. Um, what was sort of the uh, the the publication of, of your of your prose work in um, 2020? Was it did you see it mostly as a uh, a digital release or did you know was your publisher you know, making print copies to, to, to go to, to stores in hopes that, you know, folks would still be able to get their hands on it. Well, with a small press publisher, um, it's really tough to get into stores anyway. And so that's not a, that's not a main venue. Okay. Uh, we did, 
uh, produce uh, produce books uh, in paperback and uh, ebook forms. Um, using print on demand, people could order it from, say, Amazon or Barnes and Noble, um, and then Ingram prints the thing and sends it out. Um, I, I, of course, ordered my own set of copies, because uh, although most of the cons were shut down, by the time you ended up in about August or September or thereabouts, some of the littler ones were opening with very strict um, guidelines in place. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was able to actually go out and do some very small mini cons, um, and, uh, and I brought paper books with me. So when the, the publisher comes to you and they say, hey, you know, what do you think about the, the, the idea of, of turning this property into to a comic book? And you're sort of on board because, as you stated earlier, you, you know, you have this background, you, you know, have this fandom and you think visually. Um, were you um, in charge of, of putting the creative team together or was it a combination of you and, and people from the publisher, um, you know, looking for, um, I know you mentioned the artist's name uh, earlier and I'm forgetting it, but like, how, how did that process go? Um, uh, the publisher is Bear Publications. It's run by Travis Perry and his wife, Tabitha. Um, uh, Travis pretty much left it with me to figure out how to make it happen. Okay. Uh, and that was largely because um, uh, he's an army reservist, and so he got called out to duty a couple of times, and and uh, um, he had other projects in the queue. Uh, uh, so, and and I'm the one with I'm the one who had all the contacts in the comic book community. So, uh, so he, he left it with me to figure out first how to do the conversion. Um, and then secondly, although he helped me uh, pick an artist, it was still on me to do all the communication with the artists. So we, when we put out the calls of Bear Publications producing a six book arc um, um, and looking for, a, for an artist, we had five or six artists respond. Uh, we asked each one to send us some sample art based on the uh, draft of the first page of the script. And there's some really talented people out there, let me tell you. Um, a couple people dropped out because it, it didn't match their schedule. Uh, one fellow was totally confused about what we were looking for. He thought we were publishing a children's book and needed an illustrator for that. And so he wasn't quite ready for doing um, a, a six book uh, miniseries. Um, so he, he stepped out and that left us with a few and then uh, looking at the different art and comparing the page rates. And um, we, we went with uh, Roll Cruz. Uh, his art um, has a, a sort of anime kind of feel to it. And, and I thought that was work really well with the uh, book then. Okay, so y- you have the uh, you have the artist on board, um, and then you guys m- 
uh, who made the decision that you guys wanted to, to go to Kickstarter to crowdfund fund this book? Cindy, are you are you still with us? Um, I proposed it. Okay. Um, change. Yep, I'm here. Okay. Um, I, I just got a warning that my um, the, the uh, cost for the artist and the cost for the printing are much higher in comic books than they are in uh, prose. Um, I can get really good cover art for a couple hundred bucks and, and then that's, we're done with the art. Uh, comic books, it's you know upwards of one and a half thousand or more. Um, and so, so I, I suggested taking it to crowdfunding and then um, uh, the publisher agreed that, that we could give that a shot uh, and then I found the, the comics launch course and started my way through that because neither one of us had half a clue how to run a Kickstarter. Um, and, and so I finished that just in time. Nice. <laughs> so, you know, the, you know, I'm also a member of the, the comics launch community and it's, it's, a, it's a valuable resource. Were you guys going in and looking at other, you know, we sort of, it, you know, Comics Launch gives us a, a blueprint and, and, and sort of a step-by-step -step way to, to build our, our Kickstarter page and, and communicate that out. But did you go look at other Kickstarters that maybe you thought um, matched what you were trying to do and, and, and see what you liked and, and maybe take pieces from them and, or see something that they were doing and he's like, ah, I don't really think I want to do that. Like, or was it just strictly um, following the blueprint that you would have gotten through the, the comics launch course? Uh, I largely follow the, the comics launch blueprint, but I do have friends who um, are comic book creators and don't quite follow the same, uh, same process. Um, I've been backing their campaigns for a while. So, you know, when, when um, uh, I propose that, that we take this to crowdfunding, and Travis told me to find out what I could about it. And yeah, the first thing I did was I went out to uh, Brian Rodman's Memoirs of an Angel um, Kickstarter and checked out what he did and how he did it. And then I went to uh, Luke Stone's Hybrid Sons of Gods and checked out how he did it. Uh, Eric Hawkins' uh, Zombieful World of Oz and um, and you know looked at looked at what they were doing. And there were some others too that I looked at. And went yeah, that's an interesting idea that I that's just either not going to work in this genre or doesn't work for my personal idiom or that don't, I don't think that would work real well. Um, and so, yeah, I did, I didn't actually have a spreadsheet because I'm one of those crazy people who writes down all the things. And if the things are not written down, they didn't happen. Um, so I have a spreadsheet where I compared notes for, for what, uh, what the different campaigns were offering as reward tiers at various levels. And, um, uh, some of the interesting elements that they had on their page, um, uh, you know, like whether or not they included a budget sign or, or graphics that detailed out the um, uh, their different reward tiers or a video or um, what kind of descriptions they had. Um, 
I even went into the, uh, I had a Kickstarter account already, so I went in to, to uh, create a, a bogus um, uh, campaign that eventually mutated around to, so that it became the Animal Eye campaign uh, and started playing around in some of the settings uh, mm -hmm. to see what could be done. Um, and uh, then, I, then I took the course and, and learned, learned the blueprint and the logic behind it. And uh, because the, the publisher had not taken this course uh, and a lot of the decisions, a lot of the ultimate decisions fell with him, our campaign doesn't exactly follow the, the comics launch blueprint, but it's fairly close. That's very oh. cool. I, I have a question, I guess, from the, from the, the writer artist relationship perspective are you um someone with with your scripts are you someone that sort of likes to see what you wrote down on the page or do you like to get input from the artist as far as like you know like if there's a, if there's a change that needs to happen or anything like that um I, I write everything out in, in very much detail of what I'm hoping to see, but I also understand that I am not a sequential artist. Um, the closest I've gotten to drawing sequential art was drawing little stick figures on the bottom of, of a sticky notepad so I can flip it and watch the animation. Um, <laughs> that's as close as I've gotten. Um, so when Raul took my script and he started drawing out stuff, um, there are, and especially when you get to the action scenes, there are a couple of fight scenes in Animal Eye, and especially in those places, but in a few others as well. What he drew did not match what I described. Um, but if I got the same point across, and um, it hit all the high notes, and everything that needed to be there because it was going to affect the story later was in there, I'm okay with that. Um, you know, ultimately, he's the artist. He he knows how to how to convey the idea. Um, there were a couple of places where he made a change to what I described, and it would conflict with something that happened later. And so I had to ask him to, you know, okay, yeah, really got to flip that back to what I had. And you know, and he was cool with that. Um, you know, we, uh, um, my relationship with him uh, over the art, uh, converting the script into art, is is really pretty amiable. Um, uh, I don't get a lot of pushback from him if I tell him that, you know, this, this needed to be the way I wrote it. Um, and I don't push back against him if he changes something, but it still works. And were That's you really see, cool. were you seeing, um, when you, you guys started working together, were you seeing like thumbnails, pencils and, and inks, um, and sort of, you know, approving them or, um, you know, making the decision that the way he was taking it was was working or um, seeing that you were able to sort of catch something, you know, earlier in those stages, like, you know, layouts, pencils and stuff like that. Um, Rello works uh, exclusively digitally, from what I understand. Um, uh, and so he would... Uh, he, he would send me basic concept art for the different characters to make sure that the characters look about what I what I expected them to look like, um, and then once we had the characters nailed down, then he started on page one and would send me sort of electronic line drawings, mm -hmm. um, 
there would be bits of color here and there, but but largely it was you know black and white line drawing. Um, and I was able to say, yeah, that works, or wait, what'd you do there? Um, and that and that is where we caught the 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 majority of the the issues where um, something he drew didn't work with what's going to happen later. Um, and and so I mean that that and it was mostly on me to to make those corrections to to to, to find the the glitches in the script. Uh, sometimes Travis would also check it out and and give input as well, but. It, um, but mostly the the approval part of the process was on me, and um, so I would go back and compare what I wrote and what needed to happen on that page to what he actually did, and, and as long as it worked, we were good. So I know that you said um, that you you got a few sort of sample pages from from a few artists, um, but once that decision was made to work with Raul and. Uh, you know, he gives you the character sketches and you see a little bit of, you know, a little bit of line work. Uh, but what was it like that time that you got that that first finished page um, to look at? You know, this is a story that is near and dear to you. You, you, you wrote a, a really lengthy, you know, prose work, but this is now translating it to it. And you're a visual person. So as you're sitting there at the computer and you're writing, you, you know, these scenes are playing out in your mind's eye, but now this is being turned into to a comic book page um, where it's sort of a collective um, project now between you and Raul. So what was it like the first time you you got a finished page and you were able to, to sit down and look at that? It was pretty amazing. Um, the, the first few pages that I got, um, uh, pages, I think one, three, and four. Two was a little weird. Um, I think one, three, and four were the first pages I got, and and it was like it was it was terrific. He he did a really good job of rendering uh, uh, what I was what I had seen in my brain and written down on the paper, and then then he turned that into art. I'm, I'm always amazed by by my artist's ability to do that. Um, there's a cover artist I work with named Matt Ostrom from some of my novels, and and. I get I get the same wow that you know when I when he sends back the art version of the description, um, but yeah it was it was incredible to 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 actually see it written or drawn out on on the stream. Um, uh, you know he he Rell did a really good job of of converting what I described for him into pictures. And, and what about um, lettering this book? Uh, do you, did you bring in somebody to, to letter the book or is that handled by Raul as well? Raul handled all art. So he, he did all the lettering. Um, he, did, he took it from description to final. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah he did an amazing job. Um, it, 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 it looks great. Yeah, I, so Noah can probably speak to this a little bit because, you know, when he and I work together, you know, he's the, he's the line artist um, and he does the lettering. So he's able to sort of play with the, the negative spaces where he wants to put the, the, the word balloons and, and not cover up anything important. So that was probably um, the same thing for, for Awul is to, to figure out, you know, he can look at the script and he knows, you know, if there's, you know, two to three dialogue balloons, maybe he's got to sort of 
you know, leave a little bit more room above the, the character's head. So that, that was probably pretty beneficial to him. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as a general rule, he zooms in much closer than my descriptions. And so I, when, when he, when he sends me those, those initial line drawings and even some of the first full color ones, the dialogue's not in there yet. And so there are some of these, some of these panels going, where are you going to put that? <laughs> but you know, he found a spot for it. I mean, he, he, uh, either reorganized the width of the panel or did some other interesting magic and it all fit <laughs> and it doesn't look crowded. It's like, okay, that's that, you know, that do the voodoo you do. <laughs> <laughs> so um, when um, you, you talked about earlier, and I think it's, it's really brilliant that you do this because not a lot of um, writers think to do this at the beginning, um, you know, is, is just to make sure that, you know, you you trim all the fat off of the dialogue so that you have that you give the artist that space um to to work on it um is that something that you're doing up until like you know you get the art back from the artist are you trimming it down so that you know he has less to put on there or do you trim it down as much as possible before uh you send the script to the artist um, I squeak it down as far as I can before I even send it for approval to the publisher. Um, and, uh, I mean, I'm pretty ruthless with it. If it doesn't, if it doesn't contribute to characterization or plot development, then out it goes. Um, which is, which is a bit of a bummer because one of the characters, uh, the, the girl who plays the crow is a, um, is a, killer joke teller uh, she's seriously into pop culture and stuff and so i mean she she in the novel she's like firing off uh wisecracks left and right um and a lot of that had to go uh there are still some places in there where, where the turn of phrase is a little more ironic than than the guy playing the dog but um but yeah i before i even send it to uh, uh to the publisher for approval it it's, I've, I've gone through there and, and uh, trimmed it out as far as I can. And I, and I try to pay attention also to the number of panels on the page and what's going on. Um, one of the books that, that uh, or actually three of the books that I was uh, uh, advised to read when I was learning how to do, do this was uh, Scott McLeod's trilogy on, on sequential art. And um, so I, in it's mostly written for artists, but it was useful for me because you know, I learned a lot about the theory behind the artwork and um, pacing and things of that sort so that I could um, make this as clean as possible for, for Raoul to, to take the script and convert it to pictures and then stick the dialogue in there somewhere. Um, yeah, so I try to, you know, send in on the pages where there's a fight scene, I try to make sure there's few panels as possible, even if that means I have to squeak a couple of uh, uh, more dense pages on either side of it so that so that the, the artwork's got some room to breathe. That's pretty brilliant because I, I was just having that thought today and, and like one of my downtimes about how it's so important, I think when you're setting out to write a comic that you understand what it's like to draw a comic in some ways and not even mean that doesn't even mean just just draw a comic but that means like what you did where you you read the books you know you know the, the scott mcleod books or you read like how to draw comics the marvel way so that you can really mm -hmm. get in that headspace of what 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 it what goes into making a page of a comic work 
Um, and, and then it helps, I guess, for you also to be thinking visually at the same time. Right. Yeah. yeah. And just to be able to see it in my head and um, uh, try to imagine, okay, if, and I see the picture and I can hear the dialogue. Okay, now if I take that dialogue and I put it in dialogue bubbles, how, how much space is he going to need to get all this in there? And, um, and that, that's part of what drives the, the, uh, the need to go back and slash out as much wording as I can, um, even from descriptions. Um, it happens in multiple passes because um, I'll cut something down. I think, yeah, that's pretty good. And I'll go back and read through it again. It's like, wow, that's too many words. And uh, how can I say that even tighter? And uh, uh, I, my mentor is uh, Brian K. Morris, who um, has been involved in Spencer Spook and uh, Zombie Full World of Oz and some other ones. And, you know, uh, he he took a look at the, the first, the very first draft of the first script and, you know, his red pen exploded all over the page. And, and, you know, he, he explained to me that, oh, you, you can't do that like that. You gotta do that like this. Remember when we talked about that and, you know, and write tight, do you really need that many words to say that? And, and, um, but the, the second time through, I took all of his advice to heart and he said, I won't need to see this one again, send it on to the publisher. Nice. And, um, so he's he's been a, he's been a huge help uh, teaching me how to how to do scripting and um, uh, make it as as easy as possible for Raul to do his part. Does did did he did your mentor hold to the like only like less than two hundred words per page uh, rule uh, of comic writing? I don't know if he like uh, did a word count per page or something like that, but he did tell me that you don't you want no more than two hundred and fifty words on a page, and if you get ahead that high, you better need them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. So it's a, I don't do actual word counts of the dialogue to see to make sure I'm coming in under two hundred, but um, but I, I do try to keep in mind how many panels I've got going on, and remember that the more panels I have, the less people can talk. And did you uh, did you have any sort of uh, communications errors, like working with somebody? Uh, did you just say from the Philippines? Is is that correct? Because you know I've had experiences working with folks in 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 Brazil who their you know sort of their native language is uh, Portuguese, and I have to make sure that like I don't you know use sort of like American slang or, or stuff like that. Did you have any sort of you know? Uh, times where you send something in and the, and the note kind of came back like what does this mean and then you realize that it was just sort of the differences in in the way that you you guys came up that like you just needed to be clearer or, or something like that um our biggest communication problem is the time zones he's literally 13 hours ahead of me mm -hmm. um and so there are brief windows when I first get up and before I have to log on to my work computer and then after I log off and before he goes to bed where we can communicate uh, real time. Um, other than that, he's going to send me an email or, or a, a Facebook message and it might be seven or eight hours before I can answer him. Um, that was our biggest communication problem. Um, one of the advantages that, that we had in this, in this relationship is that I was an elementary school teacher for 14 years and I taught in uh, Southeast Austin, Texas, uh, where most of the population speaks Spanish. Uh, 
okay. uh, as a first language and English is second. Um, and so I have a lot of training in English as second language. And so um, it's sort of already ingrained in my brain that if I'm working with someone who is not English first, that I've got to cut the, cut the jokes out. I've got to cut uh, any um, ironic language or, or uh, turns of phrase or slang types of things out. And so I have to simplify my English and, and speak very directly. Um, but really his English is quite good. And there have only been a couple of things where he got to some part of the dialogue and he either, um, uh, either made a, a very simple grammatical error or he wasn't sure uh, which way it needed to be phrased because it didn't sound right to him. And so, I mean, and those were quick conversations where I were, you know, it, I, I explained to him what, what the intention was and um, and he handled it from there. But, it, but I mean, there have been very, very few uh, miscommunications uh, that, that could be traced back to language. Um, his English is quite good. And then I've got my ESL background. Cool. Uh, so, you know, I've had experiences working with, with people in, in different time zones and then also working with, you know, Noah, who, you know, we, we live in the same, same town. Do you think you prefer sort of that method of, you know, having sort of your time period to deliver notes and then, you know, due to the, to the makeup of where you guys are, you know, you're going off, you're going to bed, um, Raul's working, and then you're sort of waking up to, you know, you know, the, the time that he put at the, at the, at the drawing tablet to see, or would you, do you think you would rather prefer working with somebody more real time, like, or maybe a combination of the two? Actually, I do kind of have a combination. can be more real-time um, where uh, mine with with Raul are, are blocked into those two windows and then after that it's, it's got to be you know I'll get back to you as soon as I wake up um, and really each has its advantage uh, if I have a, a really quick question I can fire it off to Travis or if he when we were setting up the Kickstarter thing he um, there, there were a lot of points where he had a question about what's the parameters for this field of how, how big can this picture be? What are the, and I was able to like answer it real quick and send it right back to him. Um, where if he had been in the Philippines instead of all that, you know, it would have stalled that stalled off doing that. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, the, uh, because of what uh, Raul and I are doing are not, it's not uh, real time dependent. It works out okay that sometimes you know, there's a, several hour lag because um, uh, there I mean there 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 were 24 pages in the book so if you get stuck on page number I don't know five he could move to page six and keep going and then as soon as I get up I can answer his question he can go back in there and, and start up again with page five um, and there were a couple of times where something like that happened where I described a a, a location but it wasn't clear to him what the perspective should be um, uh, I think that happened on page two where, where the maniacs first have their appearance. 
Um, he wasn't real clear on, you know, whether that was supposed to be a top-down shot or looking at the building from the side or three-quarter overhead or from somebody's perspective. And um, I wasn't able to answer him right away because I was at work. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, when I got home, I, you know, do a, did a quick rough sketch and t- took a picture with my phone and shot it to him through the web. And then he was able to take care of it from there. So, I mean, yeah, it, it sort of slowed some points down working with Raul, but um, but really there were so many so many pages that if you get stuck on this page, you could go to that page and keep going. Um, and then by the time we got the the last draft of the uh, of page twenty four, then you know he was already inking pages the earlier pages. So um, it worked out okay. I mean, it, I'm sure it it would have been a little smoother if he had been uh, in somewhere closer than 13 hours out, but, you know, we, we worked it out. Um, uh, there's, there's just enough to do that, that it didn't bring him to a complete standstill. Um, he was able to keep going. Very cool. So the, the, the first issue is, is, is ready to go. You, you, you've designed the Kickstarter page and, and you hit launch. Um, I know that you said that you you know you've sort of been in the Kickstarter ecosystem and you had you know you knew, you knew some folks that were working on it. But what was that what was that moment like when when you hit the the launch button that first time as the you know the the creator and the and the and the writer of a project? Uh, it was very similar to to sending the first manuscript to your publisher, where it's all at once very exciting and very scary. Um, because I had not done this before. I didn't know. I mean, I had the descriptions from the class about what to expect, but that's very different from seeing it actually happen. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, it's, it's kind of like that line from the Spike Jones song. It's either going to be a photo finish or an oil painting. <laughs> um, you know, we're going to blast off or yeah, squeak through there later. But um uh, but yeah, it, it, I mean, it was both very exciting and very scary because yeah. I don't know what's going to happen next. <laughs> and, uh, you know, one of the questions we ask folks who are on um, that, that are running Kickstarters, um, how are you sort of able to maintain your sort of sanity? Are you a, are you a refresh every 30 seconds to see where you're at? Or are you coming in like once, twice a day and just sort of checking in on the progress uh the first couple of days i checked more often of course that was on a weekend and i wasn't at work and having Mm -hmm. to 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 wait for breaks or whatever um and at first you know we we blasted off a pretty good rate of speed and and the first 500 dollars of the campaign were were in the bag within the first i'd say 36 hours and then it slammed on the brakes (laughs) And so now, I mean, I could, I could go check several times a day, but we're not moving much. Um, uh, we had one really, really big backer and I know who it is. So it's not going to be one of those situations where the person backs at an amazingly high level and then backs out 10 minutes before the end of the campaign. Um, I know who it is and, and we're safe there. But uh, other than that, I mean, it's, it's, we went from, from rapid fire to might get one a day mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I understand that's expected uh, that, you know, we've entered the dreaded de- dead zone. Um, 
And so, you know, checking multiple times a day is just going to raise my anxiety level. So, you know, I check in the morning, I check somewhere around lunchtime, then I check at night. And uh, um, unless someone specifically asks me, then I'll go look. Well, you're 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 a stronger person than than I because I'm a yes. uh, I'm a hit the refresh every every thirty seconds uh, uh, type of person. So, um, and Same you know, here. we uh, we too are sort of in the uh, the 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 slower period. So, um, are you? Do you have sort of a uh, uh, a f- uh, a plan in place for like, uh, like posting? Are you trying to, you know, hit social media two, three times a a day? Uh, Or I know you said that a a lot of times you're at work, and this is sort of, you're on a break, and and you're able to sort of check in on things. So so how are you handling sort of the, the promotion in the middle of this, this campaign? Um, I, I have permission from a couple of folks to, to post on their timeline uh, a couple of times a day. And so I do that once in the morning, once in the evening. Um, I post my own timeline a couple, three times a day. Um, I'm trying to, to contact various podcasters and broadcasters to see if I can get uh, some airtime and if they've got a spot for me. Um, uh, part of, one of my plans is to, to run a Facebook ad um, I didn't quite have a chance to get all the way through the, the ad launch class, but I've run, I've run, uh, Facebook ads before using a much simpler strategy. And I don't know if it's going to be as effective, but if I don't get any further in the class in time to launch this ad, then, then I think we'll be okay. Um, I send out, I'm sending out, uh, Kickstarter updates daily for the for about the first week and then it'll drop back to every couple of three days mm-hmm. until the last week um, and then um, I, I, I'm going to send out notes to my uh, mailing list and patreon crowd um, every few days to to encourage them to come join the party and share out with all your pals and all that fun stuff. So is is that a a, a Patreon and, and a mailing list that's mostly made up of folks that would be fans from from your novels and your 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 short fiction? Largely, yeah, yeah. Um, there 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 is some crossover. Um, I belong to a Facebook group called The Rising Tide, and a lot of them are both novelists and comic book writers. And so there's some crossover in, in, in that arena. Um, but yeah, a lot of my mailing list are people who, who join because they like my books or um, uh, they like the short stories or they're just interested in the strange stuff I post once in a while. And so I, I'm, I'm guessing from sort of the, the narrative that you were giving about the Facebook ads, um, so sort of when you were sort of trying to target people with the, um, you know, the work that you've done before the comics, the, the prose work, were you sort of looking like, I guess maybe you're just sort of setting the parameters to look for people who, you know, 
are into gaming, maybe they're into a little bit of like, you know, fantasy and stuff like that. So are you, is, is maybe take a similar path with Facebook ads with the comic work? Is, is that what the, the plan might be? I think so. Yeah. Um, I haven't tried to set the audience up for this one yet, but, um, uh, but I, I, when I, when I, for each of the different book releases I've had in the last couple of years, I did a, a, short campaign for the ads and uh and yeah it would, depending on what the, what the topic of the book was um the, the audience might include fantasy or superheroes or um game lit or fans of uh, virtual reality gaming um uh in a couple of places i've mentioned specific movies like uh, the most uh commonly known game lit movie right now is uh jumanji um, and so, you know, I, I try to target that way, um, and I've gotten some strange results. I mean, sometimes, uh, with the game in the gaming universe, I expected to get, uh, more hits from guys than, than from women, but it actually worked out the other way, which I thought was kind of different. Um, uh, so, I mean, the... I'm still learning how to do the do this ad thing, but um, but using the post boosts and stuff like that, I, uh, I've gotten a bit of a bit of traffic uh, come into it. And my last two book launches actually did quite well. Um, uh, didn't make best bestseller list or anything like that, but certainly much better than I had in in previous years. So. Uh, I have a question um, about sort of, you know, the, the back end uh, of making comics. Eventually, you know, you have to, to, to take this book to, to a printer. And I think a lot of times folks that are early on in their, their, their making comics career, this is sort of an unexpected sort of hiccup that, that, that they have where that, you know, they have to format the pages uh, just so for, for the printer. Um, have you gotten to that point yet, or do you, do you, um, you know, were you able to, to find a printer that gave you a template and then you were able to communicate that over to, to the artist? Um, uh, Raul sent us three different versions of the final pages. Uh, one that had all the, the bleed lines and everything else marked on it. One that still had the, the white margins, but didn't have all the marks. And one that had that one that was cropped all the way against the image. Okay. Um, and uh, uh, Travis is actually handling the the work with the printer. Okay. Um, he has more practice with formatting books and stuff like that. So uh, while he's handling that, I'm working on pulling the information together for the game. Nice. So um, you know, this was it was great to to hear this sort of uh, you know journey that you've had, you know, from the collecting the X-Men books in, in middle school, writing fanfic, writing, writing these, these, these prose works, and then having the, the publisher ask you to um, sort of, not sort of, but asking you if you wanted to take this in the comic book direction, which is sort of full circle, if we think about, you know, starting off with comics, you know, early on and, and sort of coming back to it. Um, so Noah, do you have uh, any any final thoughts or questions as as we finish up here? 
Uh, no final thoughts or questions. Just thanks for explaining Gamelet to me. And like I said, I'm going to be using that term all the dang time now. So <laughs> thank you very much. All right. <laughs> so, so Cindy, as as we close up here, um, let's um, let's let people know where they can find you online um, to keep up with with this project and, and maybe some other projects. As as you said. Um, you know, this is 24 pages, but we're looking at, you know, five more, five more issues in this series to come out. So why don't you let people know where they can, can find you online. Um, and then we'll put links to all of this stuff in the, uh, in the, in the show notes. Okay. That'd be great. Uh, the easiest place to find me is on my webpage, which is cKOEPP.com. That's my first initial and last name. Um, I'm also uh, fairly active on Facebook. Uh, I have an author profile page under my own name and I have my personal profile. Um, I do have a Patreon, that's uh, patreon.com slash C-K-O-E-P-P. Um, and for right now, you can find me on the uh, Kickstarter page, which is bit.ly slash um, animal IKS, all together is one word. Awesome. So we're going to put links to all of that stuff in the uh, the show notes for, for folks to, to jump on the, the Kickstarter and, and some of that other, you know, the other, the, the other links that you gave us. Um, but also let's do one last sort of elevator pitch uh, for, for Animal Eye, which is on Kickstarter right now. All right. Uh, Animal Eye is a game-lit story. It um, uh, follows two playtesters who join a virtual fantasy role-playing game that has a unique twist, one in which they become animal companions to the human characters in a game. They're first fascinated by the ability to fly and see and smell like animals do, um, but they soon join a battle against sinister forces attacking outlying travelers and loved ones. These maniacs are powerful, they're fast, and they're hard to kill. Very cool. Well, Cindy, I appreciate you uh, coming on and, and sort of leading us through your, your creative journey and, and talking about this book. Um, you know, I was able to, to read the preview uh, copy that you sent over, and, and I really enjoyed it. Um, so I'd like to encourage everybody to, to check it out on Kickstarter. Um, for anybody listening, if you could give us a rating and review on the podcasting service you use, we'd really appreciate it. If you want to follow the podcast, we're on Twitter at ConstructComPod, Instagram is Constructing Comics Pod, and Facebook is Constructing Comics. Um, also, in addition, uh, please check out the Kickstarter page for Dino Thrasher's Fire and Ice. Uh, Noah is the artist of that book, and I am the co-publisher. Um, a link to that Kickstarter in the show notes as well. But I'd like to thank everybody for listening. Uh, please be safe, be nice to each other, and go out there and make some comics. Thank you. <laughs>